He is risen. Try it again. He is risen. No, try it again. He is risen. No, it's he is risen indeed. Okay. She can say amen. It's true. Okay. Now, normally we do that when? On Easter, right? Is this the first day of the week, biblically speaking? What day did Jesus rise from the dead? First day of the week. Okay? Is every Sunday Easter Sunday? Do we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday? And the answer is yes. Okay, so it's not, it is appropriate. Uh, anybody ever hear of Handel's Messiah? Do you know that was originally written for Easter, not Christmas? Normally you hear it played during Christmas season, but it actually was written for Easter to celebrate the resurrection. That's an interesting historical note. But we are focusing today on the coming of Jesus Christ as Lord. So actually for the next three Sundays, our theme will be that Jesus is King or Jesus is Lord. So if you want to put that in mind. Um, and so when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, which is what we're going to be reading for our devotion, uh, uh, Matthew goes and establishes that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, the King. And so he starts off by giving the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why? Because in order to be a legitimate king, you have to be of the right family. And so Jesus is of the seed of David, the king. And so let us hear the birth of Jesus Christ. You're probably very familiar with this text, but let's just listen to it from that perspective of, of Matthew arguing that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your mother, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's take a moment in preparation to worship our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So let's take a moment in silent meditation and preparation.
Amen. Please rise as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. Our call today comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So what have we been called to do? Praise the Lord. So let's do so with uh, 570, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. And then we'll be singing hymn number uh, 319, O Come All Ye Faithful. Thank you. 
you, to acknowledge you as you truly are, Lord, King, King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign over all things, creator, sustainer, redeemer, and judge. We thank you that in Christ we have full forgiveness of our sins. We are righteous in you. Him by faith. We are declared righteous by you. And so we can stand before you, having been forgiven of our sins through Jesus Christ, and now called your children. And so we have gathered to honor our Father who art in heaven. We've gathered to honor our Lord Jesus Christ. We have gathered to honor the Holy Spirit, you who are here amongst us. Guide and direct the preaching, teaching of your word, and all that we do this day. For this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, and more importantly, be glad in you. And so enable us, O Lord, to honor our Father who art in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Please be seated. Sorry. We are called to confess our sin this morning, and we'll do that with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And that responsive reading comes from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've had, uh, I have had more than once, when we've read that passage, someone say, how can you not see Jesus in that passage? How is it that the Jews can read Isaiah 53 and not see 
Jesus Christ? Well, we need to have our eyes opened. We need to have our heart opened to be able to hear properly. So let us pray, confessing our sins and looking to the one who does heart surgery, spiritual heart surgery. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we hear this, this statement about our transgressions, our iniquities, the necessity of dealing with our peace as we are at war with you or we are separated you. Sin separates us from you. Our need to be healed. Our iniquity to be purged. You are a holy God. and You must punish sin. And we sin, deserve punishment. You require perfect obedience for all your creatures. The animals are more faithful in obeying you than we are. The sun and the moon and the stars move through the heavens in obedience to your command. All things work together according to your sovereign hand. And yet we are guilty of evil. We are guilty of violating, warring against, rebelling against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are guilty before you, apart from Christ. And even in Christ, we sin. And we need to look to our Savior. So we do so. We don't hide, dismiss, minimize, blame shift, play the victim, We are guilty before God. We have offended you. We have broken your law. We have done that which is evil in your sight. We want to acknowledge that. We want to turn from it. We hate it because it is displeasing to you. We hate our sin. We love our Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love to us while we were yet sinners. You died, you who are righteous, and you desire to cleanse us. And so we do confess our sins, we turn from them, grant us the ability to turn from them always more and more. Grant unto us also the joy of Christ, the joy in Christ. Cause us to take the light in living for you doing what is pleasing in your sight. We thank you that we can do so through the work of the Spirit, applying the work of Christ. Our forgiveness is complete. Your death, Jesus, on the cross as you died, said, you said, it is finished. The debt has paid. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, by faith, strengthen us to enable us to understand that, accept it, rejoice in it, that we are accepted in the Beloved, We are righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. And so we pray that you'd open our lips, that we may show forth your praise for your forgiveness and love. In Jesus' name, amen. So let us turn to hymn number 450. Jesus, who loves us more than anyone, more than anything, Jesus, lover of my soul. 450. Let's stand and sing praise to God.
be seated. And if you'll keep that book in your hand and turn with me now to page 853. We have completed our study in the Canons of Dort, and we are now coming to the end of the, of the year. And normally we confess the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Usually we don't confess the Athanasian Creed. I wonder why. Uh, the answer is it's pretty long. Um, so since we have completed our Canons of Dort, uh, let's go ahead and listen to it. Now remember in the Athanasian Creed, a lot of what has been going on before this was written was a lot of error. There was a lot of attempt to try to understand what the Bible says about the triune God in the person of Christ as both God and man. And so there was a lot of errors. A lot of errors went from one extreme to the other, back and forth. And so this is now an attempt to say, well, this is what the Bible says about God, and this is what the Bible says about Christ. And so it's very thorough, let's say it that way. And so let us together read, it's on page 853 and 854, uh, let us together confess uh, our triune God. And by the way, the word Catholic means universal, the universal body of Christ. Let's all read together. Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding their persons nor dividing the essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, and the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, there is but one uncreated and measurable, immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty, Yet there are not three almighty beings, but there's only one almighty being. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but there's one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but there is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us 
to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made or created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. None in Trinity is before or after. None is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as it was said earlier, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. But it is necessary for our salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith, that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is man from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely man, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father with regards to his humanity. Although he is God and man, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of their essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one man is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and man. He descended to hell. He rose again the third day. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the Father's right hand. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will arise bodily and give an account of their own deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, and those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith that no one can be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. So, is that saying that we're saved by our works? No. Are your works perfect before God? Have you, have you all your life lived perfectly before God, obeyed Him completely and perfectly? Is that what God requires of you? Does God require perfect obedience from the heart every moment of your existence? How'd you do? How are you doing? So then how can you stand before God? If he requires perfection and we're not perfect, yes? Through Jesus. Did he complete, did he fulfill all righteousness? 
Is Jesus perfect? Man. Is his works perfect before God? Is that the only works acceptable before God? So when we go to the book of Revelation, the, the books are open, we're judged according to our works, but there's another book. What is that book? The book of, and whose name is written in the book of life, are in Christ, are saved. So are you trusting in yourself, or are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? It's in Jesus, the God-man. Did you notice all these different things that were said? Do you know why it was so thorough? It's because of the errors. People said there are three gods, or there are three spirits, or there are three fathers, or there's one, and, and so on. There's a lot of errors. 300 years of wrestling. This is the fruit of it. Trying to understand and accept what the Bible says, or better yet, what God says about himself. And so we believe what God says. Amen? Amen. In preparation for the sermon this morning, if you will turn in your hymnals, we're focusing on Psalm 90 today, and so we happen to have a Psalter that has Psalm 90 in it, a couple of versions of it. We're going to be singing Psalm 90a. Um, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all the ages. So let's stand and let's uh, sing 90a.
Turn in your Bibles to that psalm. Can you imagine what it was like back in Germany at the time when Johann Sebastian Bach uh, was choir director, was musician, and so, and he was tasked with preaching whatever the scripture was of the day. And he would put together a musical sermon. And so during those times, they would, the congregation would sing a hymn based on whatever the passage was. They would read the passage like we're about to do. Then Bach would perform a musical sermon, a cantata, based on that verse. And then the preacher would get up and preach a sermon on that verse or passage. Four times. Well, we don't have Bach here today, so we can't go with that one. But we have sung Psalm 90. We're about to read Psalm 90, and then we're, here, we're about to hear a sermon based on Psalm 90. So at least we got three of the four. Uh, so with that in mind, if you will turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90, let's hear the Word of God. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, 
Turn or return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it is past. It is like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sheep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as, for, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants in your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In the New Testament, if you'll turn with me to the Apostle Peter's second letter, Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds in way of remember, of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that uh, are in it will be burned up, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of the things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do all the, also the rest of Scripture. But you, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Yeah, this word that uh, you directed Moses to write 3,500 years ago, and yet it is important, it is apropos, it, it is essential for us and for our life. And so we pray that you would grant unto us the ability to enter the time of Moses, yes, but also the time of the completion of this of the Psalter, of the Psalms, as your people were struggling in a post-exilic time, trying to understand where's the king? Where's the king of David, the son of David, sitting on the throne? Enable us, O oh Lord, to see that and then apply it to us today. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard it been said of men that you, there's two things you shouldn't talk about in polite company. You heard that? Well, there are two things that you're not supposed to talk about in company, polite company. Politics and religion. You ever thought of it this way? What is the phrase, Jesus is Lord, about? Is it religion? Is it politics? So, we're to confess Jesus is Lord. In other words, we're to violate the rule that you don't discuss politics or religion. You can't talk about Jesus as Lord, because that would offend somebody, right? But yet, we are called to stand upon the truth that we're not Lord, the civil government isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's the focus of not only today, but next week and the week after, as we celebrate the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you ever noticed in a lot of those Christmas carols we sang last night, and, or Christmas carols in general, how many times is there a reference to Jesus as King or Lord? The angels singing and declaring 
The king has come. The wise men coming. We are looking for the king. King Jesus. Well, in our text today, as we are looking at Psalm 90, Psalm 90 is answering the question of the people coming out of Babylon, coming back into the land. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls of the city. And they are looking forward to the promised Messiah, the promise of the son of David to reign. And guess what? The Persians are in charge. For hundreds of years, they will be. And then, guess what? Then the Greeks... Alexander the Great will conquer the Persians and he will be in charge. Well, for eight years and then he dies, but his generals become the rulers. And then after a while, you have the Romans. So for 400 years, where is the promise of God concerning the Messiah? Has God forgot us? We're under these tyrants. We are under these Perverse, wicked, Gentile rulers. Where's the Christ? Where's the King? That's what, as we read this morning in Matthew, that's what Israel, the people of God, were anticipating. When will the King come? The Son of David. And so, the answer that God gave the people back then is verse 1. So look at that verse. In Psalm 89, the failure of the human king, even the Davidic kingdom, Moses is the answer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our king. From before creation till the second coming throughout all eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. So the answer to the question, as Israel was struggling with, the the people of God were struggling with all these pagan gods, all these wicked rulers, the answer was, you, O Lord, are the great king of eternity. And our times are in your hands. It's another way of describing what the psalm teaches. That's the title. So let's look at the, uh, the uh, bulletin. You have the uh, outline that kind of summarizes what we're trying to say here. Scripture teaches that the Lord works everything out in time and eternity according to his sovereign plan and purpose. Do you believe that? You believe that God works everything that you're going through out according to his plan and purpose. Sometimes it's very hard to believe that, right? That's the testing of our faith. At the same time, we struggle to understand how this is true in light of the confusing and even evil events that occur every day. I've heard it been said, if Jesus is on the throne, why is there war in Israel and Gaza? Why is there war in Ukraine? Why is there famines? Why are there earthquakes? Why is there riots? Why is there all this? It sure doesn't look to me like Jesus is in charge here. 
at least the Jesus I know of from the Bible, we struggle, don't we, to try to connect those. Well, same with the original audience, trying to understand where's the promise of the coming of the king of kings and he would rule over these pagans. It is only by reorienting our minds according to the truth of God's word that we can find comfort and the answers to our questions. And the key to this psalm is verse 12. I tried to emphasize it when I read it. I'll read it again. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Or as Paul says to Timothy, that the scriptures would make us wise unto salvation. Understanding and living in light of God's promises. This psalm, in particular, represents a turning point in not only verse 12 of this psalm, but it's a turning point in the book of Psalms. If you were to go back and to read the first, 30, uh, first 89 psalms, and in particular Psalm 89, basically what you have is crash and burn. A great car wreck, if you will. But now there's a turning point. There is a movement from lamentation, from weeping, to praise. And from this point on, through the rest of the Psalter, through the rest of the Psalms, one one theme you'll hear over and over again, and that is the Lord reigns. The Lord's in charge. The Lord is king. Praise be to the Lord. So let's look at Psalm 90. And understand there's three steps here in dealing with or helping us to get a proper perspective on life. Number one, verses one and two, the Lord is the great king of eternity. We're back to Moses. It's the only psalm in the Psalter with his authorship. Lord, master, sovereign, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation, from Adam till today. We have looked to man and have been disappointed. We have expected your word to be fulfilled according to our timetable and need, and you failed us. You haven't done it our way when we expect it. Notice how much time, uh, reference to time is in our text. We have been self-centered, now-oriented, which has brought confusion and unbelief and sin. Any of that apply to you? We live in the now generation. What was it like not to have microwaves? You older folk remember that, right? I, I want to eat, and I want it now. It's in the refrigerator. I need to heat it up. I throw it in the microwave. I hit one minute or two minutes, and poof, now it's all ready, right? Two minutes, one minute, right? I want it now. Well, you know, I'm looking for this certain thing. I can always go on the Internet, find it, and buy it. And get it shipped to me within a day or two or three, 
in North Dakota, maybe a little longer. I want it now. I got it. Isn't that our society? Isn't that our life today? Say that again? From the city it comes from. Yeah, that's true, from the city. We have looked to man and been disappointed. Well, you know, we, we really thought that Trump was going to do it for us. Oh, we really thought that Biden was going to do it for us. We really thought that man was going to I really thought that I could do that. We looked to man and been disappointed. We look and expected that God to do things according to our timetable and need. Right? I prayed. Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? We have been self-centered, now oriented, and we're confused, and we fall into sin. That's what was happening in the, the original audience receiving this. They were struggling with these things. We struggle with them as well. What is the reorientation? Getting the proper perspective on life. Yet you are the creator and sovereign God who does not change. Verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you, God. It actually, the R is supplied. You, God. You are God. You don't change. You don't change because I don't like you. Well, I don't like the wrath of God, right? Uh, there's a song in our hymnal, In Christ Alone, right? You know that song, In Christ Alone? There was a church, there was a group of churches that uh, went to the author and said, can you please change that psalm? Uh, we, we, it's a great hymn. You just please drop the wrath of God out of it? It's too negative. And the author said, no, it's in the Bible. God's wrath is satisfied through Jesus Christ. The atonement is essential to salvation. And you want to take away the atonement of Christ, the cross of Christ, the gospel. They're asking to remove the gospel from a popular hymn. You are the creator. You are the sovereign God. You are the king before man was, was created. You are the king and will be for all eternity. Not only that, you are our refuge in the storms of life, the grace of God. The very beginning of the Psalter, the very beginning in Psalm 2, I almost, I was toying between this Psalm and Psalm 2 today, and Psalm 2, it says, Do homage to the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And literally, blessed are those who run into his shelter. That hymn about the rock cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's what Psalm 2 is about. That is a theme that runs throughout the book of Psalms. You are our shelter in the storms of life, whatever you're dealing with. You are the place of refuge. That's where this psalm is going. Notice, starting in verse 
12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. All of those are speaking to you, O Lord. Teach us, return, satisfy us, make us glad. Um, Let your works appear. Let the beauty of the Lord be established. Establish our works. Notice, you are a person, not a place. You are our home. You are our shelter. You are our belonging place. We are not homeless. Yes, we are pilgrims passing through this world towards the celestial city, but we're not homeless. We have a home. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So the first step, a proper perspective on life is the Lord reigns. The Lord is king. He is the great king of time and eternity. Secondly, our lives, the times that we are here on earth, are nothing but vapor without him. And that's verses 3 through 12. Have you ever heard this psalm used? in an event in your life? This particular psalm is a popular psalm to be used at a funeral or a memorial service. Verses 7 through 9 and 11 through 12 are usually left out. Why? Because it speaks of the wrath of God. You ever been to a funeral of a very wicked person, and yet you would never know that when you hear the eulogy or the pastor gets up and, oh, this is a good person and he's in heaven. And Have you ever been there when you know that person is not in heaven? I don't think, if, unless God saved him the last moment or so in the mercy of God, but he was not a good man good, or a good woman. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, everybody who dies is a good person. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And so let's drop this idea of, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Those verses are dropped out. I wonder why. Do we need to hear that? We need to know the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Is that important to you, to know your state in Adam? Our lives are nothing but vapor without Christ. Notice a key word there, return. Verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say to him, turn. O children of men. Same word, twice. Actually, that word's found three times. Verse 3 and verse 13. You have turned man to destruction and say, return. Return. You pulverize. That word dust there. You turn man to the dust. That word is, you pulverize him to dust. What did God's curse on Adam? You will return to the dust. Thus thou art, and dust you shall return. Notice the comparison between 
our temporary, transitory life and nature compared to God's eternity. We are dust. We are like the flood taken away. We are like grass that withers. We have time allotted to us. Stop and think about that. Is the time mentioned here 70 or 80 years? Is that longer or shorter than the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Maybe Joseph, we're getting close. Some people live to be 110 nowadays, but 175, 130. How about Adam? 930 some years? Methuselah, 969 years? Anybody living that long? Would you want to live that long in this sin-cursed world? That would be a curse to me. Our time is short compared to God. We are but vapor before him. In spite of all the evidence, we fail to learn, verses 11 and 12. Notice that. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to humble or to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We fail to learn. Is that dangerous? Is it a life and death failure? to learn concerning our days. We assume, oh, especially if we're young, oh man, I can, I'm, I'm going to live to be 100 years old. Right? I'm strong. I can do it. And then you get older. You find you can't do it. You climb up a, a, a ladder out front to go put Christmas lights up and you look down and you go, well, when I was 30, if I fell, I would recover. Now that I'm 67 and I fell, I may never recover. And if so, it may take me six months a year. Guess what? I'm going to get down off this ladder and give that job to a young person. Right? We're younger in our minds than we are in reality. True? False. How many of you have that? I'm 20, 30, 40 years younger in my mind than I am in my life. Right? Until we do something stupid and then we are reminded, oh, that's right, I'm older than I thought I was. Right? We have an allotted time from God. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. But what is the purpose? To learn. Teach us. What is it that he wants us to learn? Number one, our life is a divine gift, a purpose. We are called to toil for Adam mentioned in pain, is work hard. Does every job have its benefits and burdens? It's pain and suffering as well as its benefits in this life. What's really fascinating in this passage is when it talks about God bringing forth the mountains or even before you form the earth and the world. The words there are the terms used of a woman giving birth to a child in sorrow and pain. Interesting. Still processing that. Why did he use those words? He spoke and it was. 
Maybe it's to relate to us in our struggles. Your sins have consequences. What is the wages of sins? Kids, I want a kid to answer this one. What, what is the wages of sin? Do you know? Very good. The wages of sin is? Say, let's all say it. The wages of sin is? Yeah. Separation from God. Have you sinned? Is anybody here without sin? Please raise your hand so we can talk to you. Okay, we'll talk later. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to be taught. We need to embrace. We need to understand we are in need of the grace of God. The wisdom of salvation. Number two, step one, a proper perspective on life. Point one, point two, reality check. <laughs> reality check. We live in a sin-cursed world. We have sin in our members. We're battling the world, the flesh, the devil. Our time here is temporary. We live in a society that avoids the thought of death. But yet we will all die, the Bible says. So how do we live our life? We live our life in the light of the king of eternity. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Or the verse before, teach us to number our days. This is a season of celebration. This is a season of gift giving. This is a season to make money. Right? But is that the reason for the season? And the answer is no. What's the reason for the season? Why do we call it Christmas? Scratch the mass part. Christ. Right? Living light in the light of the King. Christ has come. Hallelujah. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that our time is allotted by God. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son. And we are called to live submitted to the Lord. Is submit a popular word today? It, if it, it happens to have six letters, but it's treated like a four-letter word, isn't it? How dare you tell me to submit? I will never submit to any man. I've heard, people, I've heard people say that. I will not submit to anyone. I'm in charge. I'm the king. I'm the boss. I'm the lord. I'm the determiner. What is that according to the Bible? Is that sin? I am the Lord and you are not. Is that bottom line sin? Jesus is Lord. 
And Jesus has given us a gift, and that is time. Don't waste it. We looked at that last week in Paul's writing. What did he say? Redeeming the time for the days are evil. So we talk about gift giving. Have you ever said thank you, Lord, for another day? Another moment? Another Christmas? Another time to be with family? Or another time to celebrate the birth of Christ? Thank you, Lord, for giving me time. Help me to number my days. Not take them for granted. Our time is in his hands. What are we called to do? Not resignation, but aggressive faith in action. Verses 13 through 17. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. Make us glad. Let the work, your work appear to your servants and let the beauty of the Lord. Isn't that? I love that statement. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. What I interpret it to be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's that when someone sees me, sees what I do, they see Jesus. Isn't that the greatest goal of life? Is that when they see you, they hear you, they watch you, they're watching, they see Jesus. The beauty of the Lord is upon us. Is that a, is that a good prayer to pray? Lord, let the beauty of the Lord be seen upon me. When other people look at me, they see Jesus. Make us to rejoice in the pain and toil we face because our faith is being stretched. Make us to be aware of what you are doing in the world. I may not understand why you're doing what you're doing, but make me aware that when something happens bad at work, something happens bad at home with a neighbor at the grocery store driving, whatever, that you're in charge. Confirm us in our works and calling. Establish our work, it says. Make them last beyond the grave. Isn't that an interesting thought? You ever thought about that? Lord, what I'm doing right now, will it really have an impact if you so tarry a hundred years? I think about my wife. My wife does a lot of uh, research on her relatives, different relatives that she's had. And she looks back and sees godly Christian great-great-great-grandparents and she wonders if they prayed for her. She has a, a French Bible from one of her great-great-great-grandmothers with markings. What are the works that you are doing that will last beyond the grave? Good works. 
And again, finally, knowing that they are the beauty of the Lord working through us. And so in summary, number one, Jesus is the only sure refuge in life and in death. Amen? He is the King of Kings. Are you submitted to him? He violently tears away everything upon which we could substitute for him in our reliance. Is that hard to hear? Well, God, does God care about you enough to violently tear away anything that gets between you and him? Are you ready for that? That's a tough one. Walk by faith and the fear of the Lord, setting your heart on things above and not on things of the earth. Again, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Is he your dwelling place today? Will he be your dwelling place tomorrow? Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for showing forth not only through your word, but also in the person of Jesus Christ, that in the fullness of time, he came. And he had to deal with the rebellion of sin and sin of mankind and our sin. He had to perish because we deserve to perish. But yet he rose again. He is risen indeed. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are ascended into heaven and you rule. And you call us to submit to you, to bow the knee, to acknowledge and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we pray not only at this time, but also the rest of the day and tomorrow and this week, that our lives would be show forth your praise and submission to your authority. For you are the Lord and we are not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. We do come before you and thank you once again for giving us life and breath in all things. We thank you for the ability to manage your resources, including time and financial. We do lift up and lay before you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands, acknowledging, and Lord, we do pray that you'd establish the works of our hands in this way and guide with wisdom. Uh, teach us the wisdom that is necessary to properly manage these resources and the rest that you have left in our hands, that all that we have are for your glory and our good. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing. We also again pray as the people of God, asking for the needs that we have, our daily bread, our relationships with one another, our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil.
all the difficulties that we face in life, we look to you as our Heavenly Father, the one who protects us, the one who provides for us, the one who has given us our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the King and you reign from heaven now over us and over all things. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit who is applying the work of Christ, who is hearing and answering and taking our prayers to the Father. We do pray, triune God, that you would provide for us our daily bread, for you would provide for us. There are, there are needs uh, that are listed in the bulletin. We ask the Lord for especially those who are facing uh, serious, uh, even life and death situations. We think of Ethel, and we ask the Lord for your mercy and healing for her, uh, we think of those who are struggling with serious, debilitating uh, sicknesses. We think of uh, the stroke that Reverend Lassley is recovering from. We think of uh, Brother Hank Bowen and uh, the, the uh, degrading of his back and uh, inability to uh, walk and in great pain. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, uh, for others that we know of that are battling things like cancer. We pray that, Lord, in their, in their time of trial and suffering and pain, O Lord, be a great physician and be their comfort. Uh, we pray, O Lord, for this world. We pray for the, the war that is going on both physically and also spiritually. We pray, O Lord, for mercy. We pray for salvation. Uh, we lay before you our own uh, personal cares and concerns. We do also lift up to you the, Sh the Shimitz family as they are traveling back from Poland we thank you again for answered prayer concerning getting Mela's um, visa and uh, the adoption being completed. And now we pray for that family as they come back together. We pray for the boys who have been away from their parents now for a number of weeks. We pray for unity and peace. Uh, we ask for your blessing in order to be a blessing. And we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let us sing. Let's join the angels as they sing. Uh, I, this, I have been accused, yesterday I was accused of this being my favorite Christmas carol. And the answer is, guilty as charged. Uh, hymn number 311, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
Was there a lot of elements in this? So actually, I just preached this hymn uh, today. Receive now God's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine when he looks at you, upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his shalom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.